Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, I would like to talk about a subject that some Bitcoiners simply ignore. And I was one of those for quite some time until this past week I had a conversation that helped me connect the dots. And this is the subject of Tether and their alleged crime of printing Tethers without dollar backing and whether that constitutes a bubble that will ultimately burst and destroy the entire cryptocurrency market, as some people claim. Now, a little spoiler alert. As a Bitcoiner, I've always looked at this subject, and ultimately still do, in the context of Bitcoin as sound money. And as such, I've always been of the opinion that what happens with Tether doesn't really matter. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And if you hold Bitcoin, the number of Bitcoin you hold will not change no matter what Tether does or the US dollar does or the cryptocurrency market does. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And I believe that's true. Nevertheless, I do want to walk you through the logic of why many people are afraid that Tether will destroy all the cryptocurrency market, including Bitcoin. And the reason I want to walk you through this is because there are some interesting insights that come out of this. And it's useful to understand these things, not just for your own sake, not particularly so that you can plan when to buy or sell or things like that, but perhaps to understand a little bit more how other people think and how to talk to them about the situation. All right. So finally, I will just mention right here up front that this subject is a little bit less spiritual on the surface, but you will see that there's actually a very important spiritual principle that comes out of this. All right. So with that, let's jump right in. Let's just start off with this in kind of a chronological order and see where this goes. Basically, it kind of all started around October of 2020. And that's when the really big bull market started in the crypto world and in Bitcoin in particular. But it was at that moment in fact, it was uh, the date of, I believe, October 16, 2020, right when the curves started trending upward and the Bitcoin price started climbing to the sky. It was that date of October 16, 2020, that FTX signed a loan agreement with iFinex for a revolving loan. And it turns out that this iFinex is actually Tether in disguise. Now, 
I'll admit I'm not that into the weeds here to have verified every detail, but certainly a lot of eyes are looking at this, and so I'm not questioning to that level. And ultimately, the conclusions that I'm going to be making don't really warrant me spending the effort to dig that deep into the weeds here. Okay, so let's just take that at face value, that iFinX is essentially Tether in disguise. And they were loaning Tethers to FTX beginning October 16, 2020. And that's the very time, the very day, when Bitcoin started rocketing upward. You can look at that on the historical charts, October 16, 2020. And of course, at the same time, that's when the other uh, cryptocurrency altcoins uh, also started to skyrocket and the whole crypto boom uh, came. All right. So the point is, that's where all the excitement really began. And it began with what people are now claiming was a fraudulent creation of tethers, of USDTs, that were not backed by US dollars. So a whole bunch of money flowed into Bitcoin and the altcoins, but that money never really existed. Now, how is it that Tether is still alive? Essentially, their concept was, if we print Tethers today, make a lot of money tomorrow, then we can pay back the tethers that we printed the day after tomorrow. And it appears that that's exactly what they did. And there was a thinly veiled confession of the tether CEO that admits basically that. And I'm going to read that. This comes from a book entitled Number Go Up. And I'm reading this from a screenshot out of a tweet, and I don't really have the full context, but we're just going to jump right into the key paragraphs in this book. It says, over the next three hours, Van der Velde, I don't know if I'm saying that right, he's the, according to this tweet, he's the so-called CEO of Tether, and like I said, I'm a Bitcoiner. I'm not into this stuff. So I apologize if I'm mispronouncing names or, you know, not so familiar with the details here. So uh, here we go again. Over the next three hours, Vandervelde talked in circles, hinting that he was telling me something about Tether without saying it directly. He said that without Tether, the cryptocurrency industry as we knew it would not exist. So that's pointing to all this money printing that fueled the whole rise of Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies uh, as of October 16, 2020. Okay, that's what he's referring to here when he says the cryptocurrency industry as we knew it would not exist without Tether. In his telling, Tether provided access to cash at a time when banks didn't want to handle money for exchanges. So there we have the key point, that they were printing tethers at a time when you couldn't get money into the cryptocurrency system any other way because the banks weren't wanting to cooperate. Going on, but the company had paid a price for doing that. And what was that price? Well, committing fraud, printing tethers that didn't exist. Now, this next paragraph is a little bit interesting, and you'll see why. 
It says, if these lies were so harmful, I asked him, why wouldn't he show me how Tether's business worked and where its money was and lay the questions to rest? I told him that Bankman Freed had allowed me to sit with him at work and seemed to be very open about his business. Vandervelde seemed annoyed. He hinted that there was something in Tether's past that he couldn't reveal. Now, I think this is interesting because it speaks about something in Tether's past, not in Tether's present. And this seems to suggest to me that Tether, in the rise of all the cryptocurrency craze, they made enough money in gains to pay off all the Tethers that they printed. I mean, that's essentially what this kind of a scheme does. It's like a hot check where a person writes a check counting on the fact that money will arrive in the bank before the check is cashed. And therefore, in the end, it looks okay because the one who cashes the check ultimately gets their money. And in the end, uh, the transaction goes through seemingly without any problems. But in reality, it's a race. For example, buying goods with a check that's going to take some time to withdraw, taking those goods, selling them for cash, taking that cash to the bank and getting it in the bank before the original check is actually cashed out. And that's fraud. That's buying goods with money that you don't have and then later making up the difference. It's a type of loan in actuality, except it's not given willingly on the part of the bank or of any other party. It's just kind of forced through this race to get the money through before the check is cashed. All right, so that's essentially what they were doing with the tethers. They were printing the tethers, hoping to make a lot of money, which they did, in order to pay or back those tethers and make it all seem good in the end. So it appears from reading these paragraphs from this book that that's what Tether did, and they were successful at it. And the only problem at this point is that there's something in Tether's past that they don't want to reveal for obvious reasons because it was fraudulent. Now, why I think it's significant that this was in Tether's past and not in Tether's present or future, so we can think, at least from this paragraph, why I think that's significant is because pretty much all the gains in the cryptocurrency market, including in the in Bitcoin, all the skyrocketing of the price, that all came crashing down. Now, there could be questions as to why and the timing and all this, but essentially just looking at this sort of from a big picture perspective of the whole system, one could infer that if Tether ultimately started backing its tethers and making the situation good after their initial fraud, then that would, to some degree, undo all this skyrocketing of cryptocurrency prices. And that's exactly what we saw. It all kind of came down, and the Bitcoin price just kind of leveled off more or less in the vicinity of the area where it started. 
Before October 16 of 2020, it was trading around 11,000 some. And after all the cryptocurrency market crashes around uh, mid-2022, Bitcoin was kind of in the range of two, uh, I'm sorry, of 20,000 again, um, which was more or less near its former all-time high. And so it seems like after all the craziness, Bitcoin just kind of came back to where it probably would have been or would have risen to had there not been this drastic injection of tethers that weren't based on any actual U.S. dollars. Okay, so that's kind of interesting to me. And I think that kind of explains itself. That all kind of fits together. It makes sense. Now, going forward, where this gets particularly interesting is that just in the last year, Tether has been printing tethers again. And at the moment, nobody really knows for sure whether those tethers are indeed backed by U.S. dollars or not. And in particular, and I'm going to describe these charts because in the audio format, obviously, you can't actually see them. And so what I'm looking at here is a comparison of the market cap of USDT and the market cap of USDC over the period of the last year, okay? And what we see on the USDT chart is that the market cap starts off around 65, 66 billion, kind of starts off level and then takes a pretty amazing curve upward around... February, it's, it starts off, and then around March, it just really shoots upward, and then it kind of slows down a bit in April, and then kind of levels off from May all the way until around November, and then it picks up again. So that's kind of the curve, and at the end, most of that rise uh, around the March time frame uh, brings it up to around 83 billion from where it was at around 66 billion. And ultimately, with the little rise in November at the end, it comes up to, I don't know, 80, 86 billion or so. Um, it's hard to see the exact numbers on this screenshot. But uh, in summary, over the past year, it rose 22 billion. That's the market cap of USDT. That's tethered. All right. Now, the interesting thing the is comparing that with the chart with USDC. USDC started off a year ago with about 45 billion market cap and more or less had kind of a bumpy ride, but more or less level-ish, kind of trending down slightly up until about March. No, I'll take that back. Up until exactly March 10, you can see on the volumes a huge spike right on March 10. And that is the same time that there was this incredible shot upwards on the USDT chart. So there's the exact contrary happening on the USDC chart. USDCs were sold like crazy right beginning at March 10 and started a sharp downward curve 
which then kind of slowed down in April and kind of tapered off all through the coming months up to the present. And in total, USDC has declined 21 billion, almost exactly the same amount of 22 billion that USDT has increased over that same year. So in summary, the same amount of dollars that went into USDT has come out of USDC. And not only that, but the curve matches in its timing, especially at this sharp point of March 10, 2023. All right. So now when I saw this chart, I wasn't particularly convinced that anything strange was happening here because overall it seems equal, right? If people are buying tethers and selling USDC in equal quantities, that's not really saying much. So I thought. But the point is that when you buy tethers, you can't really spend those USDT on traditional things in the finance world. You can't invest in oil. You can't invest in all the things that you would normally be able to invest in because USDT is a cryptocurrency. And generally, all you can do with it is buy other cryptocurrencies and uh, sort of in a roundabout way, maybe uh, get back into the traditional financial system, but only in a roundabout way. And one of those roundabout ways is through the international markets. There, you can get back into USD dollars without actually having to go directly through U.S. banks. Okay, now the thing about USDC here is that by selling USDCs, now keep in mind, USDC is a little bit more well-respected and trusted and vetted in the financial world. And so by selling USDCs and turning that back into actual dollars, actual USD, money is able to come back out of the system in the form of dollars. And this gets a little bit interesting because what we see in this chart comparison is that essentially that's what's happening. You've got dollars flowing into the cryptocurrency world through USDT and then flowing back out in pretty much equal quantities in USDC. And the question then becomes, well, why? And why are these curves so symmetric if this is just sort of an organic phenomenon? It really gives the impression that the USDs that are flowing into Tether and then coming back out uh, through the USDC channel is some kind of money laundering system. That's what it looks like, okay? And this is where the fears of what Tether had done in the past become legitimate concerns as to what might be happening with Tether in the present, okay? Could they be just printing money, and then in order to get it back into real dollars, they go through the USDC route, okay? Now, what's interesting here is that there hasn't been any kind of meteoric rise in cryptocurrencies or in the price of Bitcoin lately. There has been some rise, and that could be related here, but it hasn't been just going crazy like it did in the past. And 
The difference is that in the past year, USDC has been involved. There has been money coming out of the cryptocurrency system. Whereas back where we started in 2020, USDC was not a channel for withdrawing dollars at that time. USDC existed and there was some activity on it, but it obviously wasn't being used to withdraw U.S. dollars from the overall cryptocurrency system. And so for me, this just kind of confirms that what happened around October of 2020 and into the whole crazy rise of the of Bitcoin price in that time period, that that was driven by an injection of USDTs that was not matched by a corresponding withdrawal. Whereas what we're seeing today is much more moderated because of the fact that the dollars that are going into the system are also coming right back out. It's kind of like, if I can just kind of make a side comparison here, it's kind of like how when the U.S. government prints money and then tightens interest rates in order to rein in inflation. Okay, so, all right. Now, one thing I just want to also point out here is that this sharp increase in USDT market cap and sharp decrease in USDC market cap that started exactly on March 10, 2023, that correspond. I mean, that was just two days after Silvergate announced its bankruptcy. And so, and we know that Silvergate was heavily invested or heavily connected with FTX. And so this all goes back to FTX again, which was the same reason for the whole craze that began in 2020, October 16 of 2020. So the story is connected. That's one important point here. And it seems that what's happening with this funneling of money through the cryptocurrency markets, through USDT and then back out through USDC, that that has something to do, something significant to do with Silvergate Bank and perhaps Silicon Valley and the other banks that collapsed in the wake of FTX's bankruptcy. Okay, it's all connected. And that ultimately is what fuels the fears that if this whole market, cryptocurrency market and Bitcoin market, is based on fraud, both FTX fraud and Tether fraud, which were apparently working together, that the whole thing is going to come crashing down. Now, before we kind of really go into the analysis of this, just to provide a little more weight to this idea that printing Tethers can really make a difference in the price of Bitcoin. We have BlackRock's filing with the SEC for a Bitcoin ETF. And in their filing, they actually note that stable coins can really have a risky effect on Bitcoin. It says, while the trust does not invest in stable coins, it may nonetheless be exposed to risks that stable coins pose for the Bitcoin market and other digital asset markets. So BlackRock officially recognizes that stable coins 
pose a risk to the Bitcoin market and other digital asset markets. And by stablecoins, they refer here to, this says prices of Bitcoin may be affected due to stablecoins, including Tether and US dollar coin or USDC, the activities of stablecoin issuers and their regulatory treatment. So in other words, what happens with stablecoins can affect the price of Bitcoin. That's what they're saying in that statement. Also noteworthy in this um, in this filing of BlackRock is they note here, it says, stablecoins are a relatively new phenomenon and it is impossible to know all the risks that they could pose to participants in the Bitcoin market. In addition, some have argued that some stablecoins, particularly Tether, are improperly issued without sufficient backing in a way that when the stablecoin is used to pay for Bitcoin could cause artificial rather than genuine demand for Bitcoin, artificially inflating the price of Bitcoin. And uh, they also argue that those associated with certain stablecoins may be involved in laundering money. Okay, so the point here is that this basically confirms or, you know, provides a weighty opinion, at least from BlackRock, on what actually has happened in the past in the rise of Bitcoin's price from October 16, 2020 onward. Okay, so this all is kind of fitting together and making sense. Okay, the big picture makes sense that yes, printing of Tether can make an artificial change in the price of Bitcoin. Now the question is, and this is where we come to the analysis part, really. The question is how that should affect the world, how that should affect you as a Bitcoiner, and what really is the risk here. Now, okay, now just one other important point I think that should be mentioned here is that when the money goes into Tether, when USDTs are printed, and that goes into the cryptocurrency markets, it is immediately accessible worldwide, okay? And when that comes back into the traditional financial system, it's coming into international banks, and that creates a different dynamic than when the United States prints dollars, okay? Because normally when the U.S. prints dollars, that doesn't go to non-U.S. banks, there are controls in place there. But when tethers are printed, it's not the same as printing dollars because that money is immediately accessible internationally. Okay, so there's a very different dynamic going on there. And that's important in its effects. And it's actually kind of important to consider why the United States would allow that to happen, why they don't clamp down on tether just yet. Perhaps that serves some unspoken purposes for them. Okay, I'm not going to get into that right now. But I think we've kind of covered the situation overall. It's perhaps also worth noting that Kraken is, by the numbers, the most important exchange that's processing these withdrawals through USDC. And so if this all collapses then it's highly likely that Kraken is going to play a role in that. That's not to say they are 
doing anything wrong per se, but they are part of the equation here. They could be complicit in the crime, so to speak. It's hard to imagine that they don't really know what's going on. And I guess the point in mentioning that is just to say that as a Bitcoiner, your Bitcoin is only in your possession when it's under your private keys. And so just a word to the wise, don't keep large amounts of Bitcoin on exchanges. Okay, it goes without saying, but it never hurts to repeat that. Okay, so let's really take a look at what this means. Now, this is where we come to the point of analyzing the situation. Because in this past week, as I was conversing about this topic with others, it was interesting to see the fear on the part of others in contrast to the perspective of relative peace that I was coming from as a Bitcoiner. And it kind of came out in the conversation that the reason for that is because others view Bitcoin pretty much like every other cryptocurrency. They view it as a type of money, a type of investment that is ultimately held by people who basically just value money in the fiat mindset. People who want to get rich and use that wealth to buy luxuries. And ultimately, when the market crashes, then they're out of it. They're done. And they will just buy or sell Bitcoin at any point in time just for financial advantage. And they're not particularly invested in Bitcoin for any grounded reasons, any foundational principles. And that's essentially just a fiat mindset. They look at the world as a dollar-denominated world, as a world where the dollar is king, and everything else kind of falls into place in relationship to that idea, to that view of things. And so if the U.S. government shuts down Tether for any number of reasons, whether because of its fraud, uh, whether because it's involved in financing terrorism, you know, Hamas, Iran, North Korea, or, or whatever, you know, or whether because of its role in money laundering or because of its role in evading Chinese capital controls, whatever the reason they come up with, whether true or not, if the government shuts down Tether, then you could have basically an implosion of the whole cryptocurrency market. That's, that's the fear. And now we have to ask ourselves whether that's actually justified. All right, so now let's kind of break this down and get to really what does this mean. And that depends to a large degree on you. And that's why there's so much debate over this issue with Tether. Real hardcore Bitcoiners just don't see any problem here. Yeah, who cares what Tether does? Who cares how many dollars are printed, whether in the form of USD or in the form of USDT? That's what Bitcoin is here to fix. And because of its hard cap, no amount of printing of stable coins or any kind of coins or, or dollars is able to infringe on Bitcoin's hard cap. So on the one hand, Bitcoiners don't really see a problem. 
And that's kind of the camp that I've been in and that I remain in as a Bitcoiner to this day. But there's more to be said about that. Whereas on the other side are people who basically just use Bitcoin as another form of investment. To them, they see Bitcoin as, oh, the price goes up, I can make a lot of money. For them, the whole world is kind of a game in terms of currencies of, you know, who's the best, who's going to be king. And, you know, they look at maybe China or whoever as potentially uh, being the, the upcoming king that's going to kind of kick the dollar off the throne, you know, and that sort of thing. It's all just a sort of a dog-eat-dog world. It's, it's about, you know, who is the leader in the financial kingdom, kind of like, you know, who's the alpha male in a particular group of animals. It's determined by dominance, by brute force, by strength. And that's how they see the world. And that's how they see the financial world. And for them, Bitcoin is no different. It's just, you know, looking at the price. Is it strong today or is it weak today? And who's going to ultimately win? Those who have that kind of a mindset, they don't recognize that Bitcoin is different. They don't recognize, for example, what we've been showing in this podcast they don't recognize that Bitcoin follows different principles. It follows the principles of the kingdom of heaven. And it is money for sovereigns. They don't quite get that concept. For them, not your keys, not your coins applies to every cryptocurrency. But a true Bitcoiner who really understands Bitcoin understands that it's not the same. Having your own keys to XYZ cryptocurrency means nothing if that cryptocurrency can be inflated or manipulated through fraud. It's no different than the dollar. That Yeah, you can hold a dollar bill in your pocket, but you can't hold the value of the dollar in your pocket. It is only Bitcoin because of its uniqueness that makes not your keys, not your coins actually have meaning because when you hold Bitcoin under your own keys, not only can nobody take those coins from you, but nobody can take the value of those coins away. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. And that hard cap on the supply means that among Bitcoiners, your value can never be taken away. As long as you're in the mindset of Bitcoin as the true money, the best money, the most sound money on this planet. But if your mindset is, well, let's see who's going to be the strongest. Is the dollar going to be the strongest? Is is the yen going to be going to going to overpower it? You know, is some other better, more modern cryptocurrency going to take over and ultimately win the race? You know, if you're thinking that way and you're not appreciating what Bitcoin really is, then all bets are off as to how Tether is going to affect you if it crashes or if the government claps down on it. But if you're a Bitcoiner, you have security. You have peace knowing that nobody can take your Bitcoin away and nobody can take the value of that Bitcoin away. Can they affect the price? Yes. But does the Bitcoin price reflect its actual value to you as an individual and to the community of those who appreciate Bitcoin for what it is? 
That is the key point here that comes out of this observation. What we see with this whole thing with Tether influencing the price of Bitcoin is the fact that prices in a market that is manipulatable do not reflect the actual value of the asset. That's the bottom line here. If you don't have a free market, just like take Argentina, for example, the government imposes price controls on the exchange of dollars for pesos. That's not a free market anymore. And when you don't have a free market, people go underground because they want to exchange goods or currencies for what they are actually worth to them. And that's sort of the problem with exchanges is that the exchange sets a price based on its market. But when the market of the exchange is under various factors of control, uh, whether through regulations or what have you, that price does not reflect the actual value of the asset. And just to give an example here, there are many people who will pay more for Bitcoin than what the exchanges will charge. They will pay more to buy KYC-free Bitcoin, non-KYC Bitcoin, Bitcoin that hasn't gone through an exchange and been marked by somebody's name, but actually still remains anonymous. That buying Bitcoin peer-to-peer without KYC being involved is something that people are willing to pay a higher price for in comparison to Bitcoin sold on the exchanges. That's another example similar to the case with currency conversion in Argentina that shows it's not just controlling the trading price, but it's influencing it in what might otherwise appear to be a free market. The exchanges, in theory, are part of a free market. But in practice, because of regulations, their prices actually don't reflect the true value of Bitcoin. In the end, the value of an asset is determined by those who want it. It's determined by the demand for that asset. And this comes to the crucial point in terms of Bitcoin, and that is we know Bitcoin's supply is fixed. But what do we know about Bitcoin's demand? For those in the fiat world that can imagine a scenario where exchanges are brought under regulations that ultimately quench Bitcoin and all other cryptocurrencies, they can imagine that the Bitcoin price goes to zero on those exchanges. And I can imagine that too as a Bitcoiner. I have long been saying that the price of Bitcoin could very well go to zero, so to speak, when exchanges can no longer trade Bitcoin in any useful way and therefore their price for it drops to zero. Everyone dumps Bitcoin to to buy whatever else, and that could happen. But does that actually define the value of Bitcoin? And that's where I would say absolutely not, because there will always be a demand for Bitcoin among those who value it for what it is, for being sound money. And uh, that was kind of an interesting point in the conversation I had this past week. And basically, I was conversing with someone who made a lot of money on Bitcoin, but only sees it 
in terms of the profit that can be made. And he basically was arguing that demand can go to zero because if you take away demand that's coming from fraud, if you take away demand that's coming from money laundering, if you take away demand that's coming from evading Chinese capital controls, and you know, then all that you have left are people who believe Bitcoin is going to go up in value. And if you take those guys away because the price of Bitcoin goes to zero or keeps going down, 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 you know, they're going to get scared and bail out. And even that apparently last group of people who believe that the Bitcoin price is going to go up, even they will go out and leave the demand at zero. And I found this logic to be almost amusing because, well, it's interesting talking to someone who made a lot of money on Bitcoin and realizing that they are completely blind as to what Bitcoin really is and what it represents. And my answer, my argument to that is that when all those groups have left, and I'm honestly not so convinced at how big those groups are, how much is really used for fraud and money laundering and invading Chinese capital controls, and, you know, and how many are just speculators, I don't know. I don't have the figures on that, and I don't really care. But I'm not convinced that that's that big of a proportion in terms of all those who are holding Bitcoin. But that aside, even when all those groups, however many or few they are, when all those groups have left Bitcoin, sold all their Bitcoin assets because they want to be in agreement with the regulations and they want to have US dollars and central bank digital currencies and whatever, you know, they want to stay in the system of slavery because ultimately they believe only in the survival of the fittest, strongest currency. And for them, when they see the Bitcoin price going down fast, they're going to rush anywhere else, maybe gold or wherever. Now, Bitcoiners also believe in survival of the fittest, but they recognize that Bitcoin has a strength that no other money has. And that's where my answer, my argument comes in. And I say that after all those groups have left Bitcoin, there's still one group left. And those are the people who believe in sound money and who recognize that Bitcoin is sound money. And those are the people who won't accept anything less than that, even if their life depends on it. And that's the group that I'm in. I'm not afraid of what the price is going to do. And I'm not alone in my recognition that Bitcoin is the most sound money on the planet. And so whoever we are, this group that's left that believes in Bitcoin, even if they are cut off from the whole support of the whole rest of the world, even if it becomes impossible to trade between dollars and Bitcoins, because dollars will become CBDCs and electronically there simply won't be a way to exchange them for Bitcoins. The only way is going to be through black markets, peer-to-peer -peer transactions, things like that. And even in such a world where Bitcoiners are cut off from the whole rest of the world, whether that group is large or small, that group of Bitcoiners, it doesn't matter in our opinion because we know what makes Bitcoin strong and we know that it will ultimately win because of its virtue, because of its soundness as inconfiscatable, uncensorable money. 
And I would add in the context of this podcast, because of its virtue, its properties as the money of the kingdom of God, its characteristics that are in harmony with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of good. And I'm one who believes that the good ultimately always wins. So the moral of the story is this. Is Tether a threat to Bitcoin? Depends on who you are. If your mindset is in the fiat world, if your mindset is in valuing the bullies, recognizing the strength of the bullies and ascribing value based on brute strength, then for you, Tether is going to disrupt your world and it's going to make a lot of waves and you're going to want to juggle your money in such a way that you come out on top because that's your mindset. But if your mindset is with the kingdom of God, and if your mindset is with the mind of Christ, who said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, in Bitcoin, for example, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. In other words, money that doesn't decay and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Money that is not taken away by force. If your mind is with Christ and your mindset is in harmony with his kingdom and you're invested in his kingdom through Bitcoin, then you have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. The storm can rage all around you, but one Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. You're not losing anything because of the storm. You're not losing anything just because exchanges might have a price going wild and ultimately crashing to zero. That doesn't mean that the Bitcoin you hold is no longer valuable to you or to other Bitcoiners who value it in the same way. But what this shows is that there's going to be a separation, I I believe. Now, there could be other outcomes. Maybe Tether is behaving well, and ultimately this speculation that fraud is going on is unfounded, and maybe the whole world just becomes a better place over a period of time. I mean, you can theorize what you want. I personally believe that we are coming to a climax and probably Tether will play a role, an important role, and that the value of Bitcoin will go to zero and ultimately a separation will take place between Bitcoin and the rest of the world. That's what I believe. That's what I infer is coming from all the evidence that I piece together. I could be wrong. That's just my opinion. But when CBDCs come and the dollar is much more controllable, it's easy to imagine that there will become a separation between Bitcoin and the rest of the world. And when that separation comes, I want to be on the side of Bitcoin, not because it's going to make me rich. I don't believe it will, to be quite blunt about it. I don't believe it will. Not in my lifetime, okay? But as a matter of principle, I want to be on the side of right. I'd rather die with honor, even if there are few that recognize it as honorable. That's not the point. In the sight of God, it's honorable to transact with a monetary system that doesn't rob from others, to not participate in all the evils that the fiat monetary system enables. That's honorable. And that's where I stand. And that's where I'll die. And I don't believe in my lifetime that I'm going to become rich by holding Bitcoin. That's not my motivation. But that's the side I want to be on. And I want to be with others of like mind, with others who value the principles of the kingdom of heaven 
more than monetary gain, more than the things of this world, more than wealth, more than status, more than whatever money can buy. That's the group I want to be with. I want to be with the group that stands for principle and integrity and that doesn't want to do wrong to others by participating in a system that has wrecked the world and is wrecking the world as the dollar is doing and as all the fiat currencies are doing. So I guess we've kind of done our analysis. We've seen in this episode what the issue is with Tether, why people are concerned about it. And we've recognized that the concern stems primarily from a fiat mindset. And I've concluded, and I hope that I've convinced you also, that it's better to stand for principle. So hold your Bitcoin, go full in on Bitcoin, and don't expect to get rich with it because it's a crazy world and getting rich quick is, well, that's not the way. That's not the way of a good character. Now, there's no harm in wealth. There's no harm in, you know, being blessed. And if you were lucky to become wealthy with Bitcoin, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the reason to be in Bitcoin. The reason to be in Bitcoin is because it is sound money. It is honest money. It is money that you can count on to be there for you in the future within the Bitcoin ecosystem. We Bitcoiners are the ones who will define what the world looks like under sound money. And that's awesome to be a part of that. Thank you for listening. Please support this podcast and share it so that people can become more grounded and more confident in Bitcoin and in the power of God. You can reach me at bitcoinsermons.substack.com. Email me at bitcoinsermons at substack.com. Search for me on Noster Bitcoin Sermons. Donate to bitcoinsermons at fountain.fm. And most importantly, share Bitcoin sermons with those who can benefit from it. God bless you, and I hope to chat with you again next week. Bye-bye.